1: or miss. Episode 207. Hey, my listeners, and a happy new week. Joe Porento is a leading expert on sales, generating more than $1 billion in just five years. And he says, I don't see a sale that could be unwinnable. Selling or getting more customers is the thing entrepreneurs say they struggle with most. That's why I think you will find this interview very, very helpful. And I would like to invite you to join my free masterclass about seven free practical ways to get more customers. Go to getcustomerswebinar.com getcustomerswebinar.com and join me there. And in the meantime, let's learn whatever we can for my guest today, Joe Porento. Joe Porento is a leading expert on sales generating more than $1 billion in just five years, an uncommon accomplishment. He has led nearly 3,000 sales meetings in his 28-year career with Fortune 500, SMBs and startup businesses. In his first book, Billion Dollar Sales Secrets, he shares 15 secrets to help inspire entrepreneurs and salespeople to rise, to meet today's challenges, ignite their dreams, and success. So let's meet Joe Porento. Joe Porento, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi.
0: Hi. Shalom, Hayut. So (laughs) glad to be here with you today.
1: Yeah, it's so great that you are here, and I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now, and I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading?
0: Yeah, today, I think everyone worldwide can relate that it's been a challenging year that we're coming off of, but for, for me personally, I always am just an extreme optimist. <laughs> so I sit down and I draft up, what are all the great things that have happened to me? And obviously, I'm still here. I have my health. That's something to be very, very thankful about. Uh, my book is coming out and uh, next week, next Friday. That's been wow, a three-year in the making. Oh, thank you.
1: I'm looking forward to hear all about this in a minute.
0: And on top of that, I've also completed my MBA. I went back to school during this time, something that I wanted to do, and I'm so happy that I did.
1: I'm a little older
0: than most of my classmates. They call me (laughs) Father Time. (laughs) Like, what are you doing, Father Time? And I'm like, I'm learning just like you.
1: (laughs) I think it's fantastic. What are you most passionate about today?
0: I think today, the thing that I'm most passionate about is bringing, I know I'm the most passionate about this because I'm talking about it all the time. Mm -hmm. I believe that selling. We all sell, and that selling is the core of getting our economy restarted and getting people back to work and bringing the world back together. You know, movement of commerce, you know, giving people jobs. I'm I'm most passionate about helping everyone. You know, increase their sales IQ, and to really execute um, so that they can provide the things that they need for their families and their companies. That's where my heart is because I believe that that enables everything else that we want to do good in life. You know, all the giving that we want to do.
1: Mm. I love you saying that because I always said that uh, those who uh, really love and know how to sell will never have to look for a job. It's true. Uh, I think all of us need to know we're selling ourselves all the time, isn't it? It's one of
0: those things that people, we do it naturally. You know, if I were to say, you know, hey, let's go to dinner here that's selling. We'd we'd have no problem having that conversation. But I find some people get, you know, all worried and anxious when it comes time to selling a product that they they like, you know, or love selling themselves, selling their company.
1: Definitely. Um, So what are you doing? How do you help people to sell?
0: So I love to coach people. I currently am in my role. I get to coach people full time. I work at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And that. Provides me a lot of um, rich experiences and opportunities to engage with customers and with people. The thing that I like best about it is that every day is different. Every day is full of rich experiences. Some people might look at it and go, "Oh, you, you know, you solve problems every day," and I love it because yeah. at the core of every problem that that someone's trying to solve, there's a solution. And sellers who sell today help people solve problems and get what they need. And so it's tremendously satisfying when we can do that to really understand where our customers are at, what's driving them, what's driving their businesses, what are their hopes and dreams, and how can we help them. Our company motto is to help people and businesses throughout the world achieve their full potential. And it says nothing about technology. Mm. But that's what I love to do is to help people.
1: It sounds great. And I think Selling is about helping people. However, I find that too many entrepreneurs, and you know, this podcast is all about customer focus, but too many entrepreneurs are not really focusing on their customers, but they do focus on those that they think are their customers. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the biggest problems for entrepreneurs, you know, that the number one reason entrepreneurs fail is that they say that there was no market need, but we know, and I made a whole research about that, that there wasn't a market need to the customers they thought they should buy their products, not to the customers that really needed it.
0: I agree. That One thing that I've noticed that I would say, <clears throat> one of the things that entrepreneurs are failing today is because of a lack of empathy. And what I mean by this is that empathy drives, empathy isn't sympathy. It's not saying, oh, I feel sorry for you. It's the ability for an entrepreneur to get out of their head and to get into their customer's head, to really anticipate and see the world through their eyes, to understand um, and drive their creativity and innovation, to become customer centric so much that. That's what's driving their behavior, and and the reason they're failing is because they're not empathetic enough to look at things from the customer standpoint. They've they've got their own selfish motivation, but when they test their idea, you know if it's not aligned with what the customer wants to buy right now, then you need to pivot to something new, and 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 align to what the customer needs and wants right now, and that's changed so radically. There's companies who have been in business in a certain market. And overnight, the market changed. Overnight, the customers changed. So the companies that I talk to who are successful are the ones who have made a switch and are not looking back.
1: I do agree with you on that. You work in Microsoft today, right? Yes, I do. And how did you start your career? How did you come to this point?
0: My career started... Probably much longer so I'll give you a little background on on how I grew up. I'm the first generation of my family to grow up off of a Indian reservation so I'm a member of a tribe which will yeah. be familiar to many of your listeners in in Israel the fact that I'm a Native American tribe that was very different because my my dad and all of his brothers and sisters grew up in a very different life than I did. I was the first one to kind of grow up in suburbia so I have these two worlds that I grew up in and I grew up poor didn't have a lot. Um, uh, my dad left when I was young. And to help the family, I would paint rocks. You know, my brother, sister and I would paint rocks and we'd go door to door to sell them. Hmm. So I guess my career really started when I was when I was eight years old.
1: Oh, selling rocks.
0: Selling rocks, rocks uh as paperweights. And <laughs> I uh I went into the military.
1: Yeah.
0: Served time in the military as a way to, you know, to to do something uh to better my life. And through those experiences, I went to college, graduated, and then I had an opportunity to get into sales. I thought I wanted to go into politics. (laughs) That was my thinking at the time. And I met someone who said, Joe, you have a technical background and a background in communication. Very interesting. Uh, Why don't you want to go into sales? I'm like, I don't like salespeople. They're kind of, you know, hucksters and fast talkers. And that's not me. (laughs) And she explained to me what I just shared with you earlier, that selling is all about helping people get what they want or need. And if you can look yourself in the mirror every day and, you know, say to yourself, you know, today I helped somebody, then you're doing all right. And the basis for my career has been based on that. But the company that I worked for was actually a technology company that was a Microsoft partner 28 years ago. Yeah. And so I started there and I worked through a series of startups. Some of them were super successful. Some of them were not. Hmm. Many of them got merged and acquired with other companies. But my path at Microsoft has been interesting. I've been here 16 years and this is my sixth role and fourth startup that I've been in inside the company.
1: Inside the company?
0: Yes. So I've helped start different businesses inside the company. And... The basis for my book was a startup in our health industry team that I was able to help grow to a billion dollars in five years and and that number a billion dollars was was my actual number that I was given in quota, so it wasn't the business number it was I was responsible for driving two and a half million dollars a day. Wow it, I know, it's a, so
1: so ten and, about and when I
0: think about that, I was driving more revenue. By myself, than Salesforce.com was doing when when Tableau was acquired by Salesforce. So Tableau as a company was what 1.3 billion in revenues annually, and that's what I was doing by myself at Microsoft. So it's it's pretty amazing to think that that's what I did, and that's what that's what motivated me to write this book, is I said. Okay, what did I learn from this experience and from all of my 28 years selling that I wanted to share with people. The beautiful, wonderful things that I saw about sales, so that I could give them something that would be substantial.
1: And what did you learn besides helping people? What did you learn by selling $1 billion?
0: One thing that I put in there is um, you can't do it alone. You have to amplify your impact with others. That was a critical learning. And, you know, bringing people on board to help you whether they be different partnerships, alliances is critical because you want to be able to be impactful 24 hours a day. So bringing people into your team who are able to work in different parts of the world and help help you sell when you're not able to. Those are good examples of some of the ways that I was able to scale our business to uh, to be successful is bring people on, you know, share with them the The dream, you know, the mission, goals and objectives and and empower them enough to give them what they need without too much, so that they can create something magical themselves.
1: I love you saying that because somehow being a salesperson, it sounds like be walking alone.
0: The lone wolf.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you're talking about the one thing that you said that you took from these billion dollars sales is that the secret is not to work by yourself.
0: If I could go back and redo my career and you know, if, if I was talking to a younger me, I would really stress this idea because there's a tendency to, to think of yourself as a craftsperson, that you're doing all of this yourself and that there's some kind of pride in doing it. Think about what you do well. And I'd say this is the same for entrepreneurs. Think about what you don't do well. So have really good self-awareness. And the things you don't do well, outsource them. And the things you do well, focus all of your time and effort and energy on doing those well.
1: And that would be your advice to entrepreneurs? Because I want to ask you, what is your best advice to an entrepreneur that listens to us right now?
0: I'd say that's a pretty good one is, is focus and be and even in sales, this is the same. There's a lot of parallels, but I'd say be comfortable and openly search for ways to fail. Don't yeah. be afraid of failure because for me, I've come to a place in my in my sales and business career where I don't see obstacles. I don't see a sale that could be unwinnable. I don't see a situation that could be unwinnable or a business that could be a failure. I just see that, hey, it's a it's a business that's not executing to the right strategy right now. And it's up to me to figure out how to make it work. And the same thing with a sale. So if you're open to those surprises, savor the surprises that can come up, and and be open to to shifting and being honest with yourself. And like you know, hey, this isn't working. We ha- we have to do something different. The only thing that we have that's going against us really is time. Hmm. So if if we can change the way that we approach things that's really what has to change. And, and everything is a learning, you know, if we learn something new and we can approach the situation differently,
1: yeah.
0: Hey, that's we're one step closer is, you know, as Edison said, you know, I found 10,000 ways uh, mm-hmm. that didn't work. And I think we, we tend to forget that that growth path is really what it's, what it's all about. Can we grow and learn and develop faster than someone else who's competing with us can?
1: Hmm. You've got successes. We already started to talk about those $1 billion. And I guess there are other successes during your career as well. And we'll talk about it in a minute. But I want to ask you what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most?
0: I'd say the biggest failure. That I've had in, in sales is really not, um, not listening well and not, uh, not aligning myself to what the customer wanted. When I've looked at it from a selfish ambition standpoint, it's a surefire way to fail. And, and specifically the, the story that I'll share with you yeah. is I had a customer, I won't share their name, but sure. a very well known customer. And they had a a very specific uh, set of criteria, and at first it sounded like I knew exactly what they needed. And this is a trap that salespeople get into: is they they don't listen well enough, and they'll they'll rush to the sale. They'll skip all the other critical processes in the sales process to ask deeper questions and to be empathetic. And so I rushed that, and I went directly into okay, this will be easy to to sell. Mm. And I missed the mark completely. The customer felt awkward. They told me, they said, you know, we like you as a person, Joe, but we're going to go with this other company because they they met our needs more completely. Mm -hmm. And if I had spent time really uncovering what they needed, maybe I would have upfront said, you know, I don't think this is a good fit based on the value that we can provide you. So I spent too much time and I wasted their time and my time What's interesting, though, is that if you approach things with the right heart in giving, things come back, so I ended up actually winning business not that day with the same customer uh, and still stay in touch with them today.
1: Oh, so we have a happy end
0: so it, it worked it worked out well, but it was it was a tough loss. I was bummed for i'm I'm the worst loser in town, so I, I <laughs> went into a slump for about a week.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers.
0: So there's another company that I'll share with you. And, um, and this one's probably good because it's, it goes back into the dot-com era. It's a company that no longer exists anymore, but uh, I worked for a company called Luminance. It was a dot-com high flyer. And back in the day, all of these companies had an ANT t on the end. It was Sapient, Scient, Viant. <laughs> and we were all so cool in our in our companies. And one of the companies that I got to work with was uh, American Airlines. Yeah. They, at the time, were starting to develop AA.com, which is their flagship, you know, booking engine. Yeah. And up to that time, the web hadn't been a, you know, they saw potential in it, but it hadn't been that, you know... A strong revenue generator, but they wanted to put a lot of effort and energy uh, into it, making it uh, exceptional.
1: Yeah.
0: And again, same sort of story as before. They approached us. They said, "Hey, we really like this part of what you can offer to help us on the creative design and information architecture. We're just not comfortable with some of your technical capabilities." Oh. So, as a salesperson, I said, "Okay, who are you comfortable with at this time?" And they said, "We're really comfortable with March 1." And they were one of our competitors and I said, well, that's great. I'm like, what, you know, in a perfect world, if you could wave a magic wand, what would the ideal solution be? And they said, we'd like you to do the creative design and work with March 1st to make it happen. So I went back and I talked to all of our partners, invited our competitor in to collaborate with us on the deal. And we agreed to go forward as competitors teaming together on this one project. Wow. Wow. And we won the business and everyone won. American Airlines won. They have an amazing site that's gone through iterations. But I was part of that first generation of us getting that interactive customer platform. And the, the other thing that I was really satisfied with is the friendships that came out of that are still people that I know and talk to daily. They're still in my life. And we were also very groundbreaking in, you know, design that was, you know, very accessible. To people with disabilities, so back then we were thinking about how can we tap the market for you know blind consumers on the web? Nobody was talking about this in the early 2000s, but we were
1: hmm I love the story I don't think I ever made any joint venture with one of my competitors, and actually when I think about it, it sounds like a very good idea
0: it was wonderful, but it was. You know, I look back to those days with uh, a smile on my face because whenever they would come into our offices or we'd go to theirs, there was always like a scurrying of, of you know, papers would be shuffled and hid and <laughs>
1: <laughs> things
0: would be erased off whiteboards. Uh, but it was fun. And and it really, to be honest, that was, that was part of what got me hired at Microsoft is that some of the teams that I had worked with there had gone to Microsoft. Oh, And they had said, so some of my competitors said, hey, we really need this person on our team.
1: So you won all over.
0: Won all over. But I think the the thing that makes me feel good about it is it was, you know, to their credit, you know, American since then has done an amazing job. I go back and I look at what they have today compared to what we did back then. And it's nice to see the generational improvements of something that started that you were part of. So it's nice to see that things progress and build, and uh, it makes me feel feel good that we're able to help people.
1: Hmm. Joe, can you recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer-focused marketing or sales? However, I'm not looking for the last shyness tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you, and might help entrepreneurs to succeed as well.
0: Hmm. That's tough because for me, there's one that I really use a lot, <laughs> and it's one of my my favorite tools. And I'll just I'll just share. You know, since I'm at Microsoft, the the things that I'm sharing are my views only. They're not Microsoft views. But my favorite technology tool is OneNote, and OneNote is a note taking application i take all my notes in one note and i recently got a rocket book and i don't know if you're familiar with what rocket books are but they have a special pen and you can write on them
1: ah sure okay
0: and then you can take a picture and it will scan and it will go up into the cloud into your OneNote. so you have this merging of traditional technology with cloud-based technology and i use i use this every day for different things i put my to-do list in it it helps me remember things that I've committed to. I I put my goals and objectives and dreams. And a lot of the book that I wrote, I, I framed my thoughts in there. I think that, you know, entrepreneurs need to have technology that works the way that they do mm-hmm. and makes their life easier. And I think the basic, you know, there's tons of great technology. There's AI out there. And, you know, I recommend people look into that because if you're not using AI, your your competitors are. But at the base, you know, most of my life now is digital. I very rarely have any pieces of paper floating around that I could lose. Mm-hmm. It's all my digital life.
1: So one note, will have the link in the show notes of this interview. You know, there are many factors that affect one's success. However, I do believe that for each of us, there is one factor that really helps us succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor?
0: That's easy. Uh, Oh, I never give up uh, at all. And in fact, one thing that's somewhat motivating to me is when people tell me, uh, or they bet against me, or they doubt that I can do something. To me, that gives me an extra source of motivation. And I can reflect so many times back in my career when people have said, oh, you can never do that. Or, you know, I don't think you're right for this. Uh, That just gives me fuel to go after and and prove them wrong.
1: Mm, That's beautiful. My final question is my mountain question. And as my listeners already know, I've been imagining the journey of an entrepreneurship as climbing a mountain, step after step after step. And then usually when you reach the peak, you're looking to climb a higher peak. And at some point, I started to ask my guests, and that's what I want to ask you, whether you ever climbed a mountain or wished to climb a mountain, Oh, do you have any relationships with mountains at all?
0: I do. My uh, my family grew up in Montana. That's where our tribal location is, and spent a lot of time in the mountains. I I love mountains, and for me, one of my favorite hobbies is to go hiking.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'll
0: tell you a brief story about myself and mountains. That's I think representative of life.
1: Yeah, please. I woke
0: up early one morning, and I decided I was going to climb a mountain, and No one else wanted to come with me, so I had to go it alone. And it was a, you know, it was a hike, but it was a fairly challenging hike that would take me from, you know, no snow up into the snowpack uh, and back. It was about 7,000 feet vertical um, ascent, and it would take me a few hours, but I was starting early enough. The only thing that I had to worry about was, you know, animals and snow and, and different things, but I had my hiking gear and I went at it. The thing that I like and I think what what people miss about life and the journeys that we take are that it's very much like a mountain. You can start off and you know, enjoy the beauty while you're while you're doing your your job. A lot of people will ask me things like, "Oh, what do you think about work-life balance?" I don't really believe in work-life balance. I think your life is either balanced or it's not. Hmm. And so the same is like on a mountain, you know, you either look at it as work or you can see the beauty or you can take it all in. And that's the way I like to see it. And the hike went went well um until I was actually on my way down the mountain. So I had done all the hard stuff and I'm walking down and I was probably not paying that much attention and then I saw two baby bears. <gasps> Oh, the baby bears saw me and they were very interested in coming to play with me. And (laughs) I, uh, I was skeptical because I knew mama bear was somewhere around. So I, instead of being in the woods, I looked and really went to the, the most open place that I could find, which was in the middle of this, this steep, you know, jagged area. And, and then I saw that the bears were chasing me and then I saw mama bear. And my heart started beating. I started sweating. And then I started running down the mountain. So I probably ran down the mountain. At this time, there was probably 2,000 feet that I could run down. Mm -hmm. I don't remember how long it took me, but it seemed like it was a couple minutes. It seemed like five (laughs) minutes. (laughs) And I get to the bottom of the mountain. And that's when I decided to look back to see if there was anything back there because I was not slowing down on my descent. And then I got to the bottom. And when I turned around, I just. Fell and twisted my ankle and had to have a cast on for like three months <laughs> <laughs> but uh but it was because i was you know I was relaxed and and the parallel I'll draw to life and, and to an entrepreneur's journey is you know you gotta do those lonely things, and sometimes you're gonna be climbing and sometimes you're gonna be running from you know from threats or uh the tempo's gonna be really fast, but if you're focused and you know you can enjoy the the beauty of it all despite the things that are happening you're going to have a great ride and it doesn't matter you know what happens on the way you know it's 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 looking at that journey and appreciating it every job and every company that I've ever been with it's the people you come in contact with the customers many of the specific sales deals i've forgotten but you always remember the ride and the journey who you went up that mountain with
1: that's correct i love that that's correct. And before we say goodbye, do you have anything else to tell us about the book that's just about to come come out this Friday? Is that correct? Yeah, I'll tell you a
0: couple of things. When I wrote this book, I've been trained in most of the selling methodologies out there. I've you know sold for a long time. I, I love reading sales books. I have read tons of sales books. But the sales books start to become a little bit like a metronome kind of hear the same things and if you're an advanced seller you'll read them to find those little nuggets so i decided to write a book about things that no one that i i've ever read talks about and the first thing i talk about is yourself you know what is it inside your head that happens and how can you how can you finally tune yourself to be the best version of you so that you can have success in selling and then i threw some treats in there so one thing that i never saw was uh, I have a chapter, it's called Sales Managers Suck. <laughs> and the reason I put it in there, it's salespeople are good at dealing with obstacles, but yeah. they usually talk about the obstacles that you might face in your customers. <laughs> and the chapter is really about how you can have excellent relationships with your sales managers and put them on your team. And I've had so many wonderful sales managers that this is really what it's about. It's about those joyous, wonderful stories that I've had with the people who've inspired me and led me that I share with people so that they can get, you know, equally amount of of, of goodness and benefit from their, their managers that they're working with. And then finally, the thing that I put in there at the end of the book is, what do you do if you're successful? Hmm. No one ever talks about that, but this when way. I first started to experience success, I blew it. (laughs) I was not good at it. Um, I was going out and buying like a new car a month and just paying cash and eating dinner every night out. Had a lot of fun when I look back at it, but I made a lot of dumb mistakes. So I transparently put some of my dumb mistakes in the book. And I also have a few, you know, uh, family members who are in professional sports and you know bringing some of these ideas full circle because i think that that that's a common thing for people who you know who experience a windfall and it's their first windfall and they go what should i do and you know in short my advice there is is probably interesting that uh i hope to help a lot of people to make good good choices and and not fall into some of the same traps that i fall into
1: hmm. and you already promised me to give us the first chapter of the book, is that's correct?
0: Absolutely. So I will send uh, you the link. Uh, but people, most people can find me on on social media as the Jpar, t h e j p a r. That's wow. because my last name is difficult to spell. It's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to make it easy, but on my website, there's a special spot that you can go there and you can sign up to receive not only the first chapter but also I have a uh, kind of a sales survival kit to help you get through this time.
1: What is the site?
0: It's <laughs> com.
1: We will have all of these links in the show notes of this interview. So I want to thank you so much for this interview. I enjoyed it very much. You are um, bringing different angles to a. Uh, common things, and uh, enjoyed that.
0: The pleasure is all mine. I've enjoyed our time as well.
1: Hmm. So thank you so much, and take care, and I wish you a lot of success with your new book.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and to all your listeners, uh, just have a a wonderful day today.
1: Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time.